and welcome to TV Watch, a podcast from Digital TV Europe looking at the biggest news and trends in the worlds of broadcasting, streaming and everything else to do with the TV industry in Europe and further afield. I'm Jonathan Easton, Deputy Editor of Digital TV Europe and on today's show I speak with James Abraham, Commissioning Editor at FIFA Plus about the football governing body's foray into streaming and later on I chat with friend of the show Tim Westcott about the state of sports broadcasting in the UK. In something of an unexpected move in April, FIFA announced the launch of its own streaming platform. The free-to-view FIFA Plus will broadcast over 29,000 men's matches and over 11,000 women's matches from 100 member associations across all six confederations by the end of 2022. In addition to this live coverage, FIFA Plus promises to provide access to every FIFA World Cup and FIFA Women's World Cup match ever recorded on camera. Yes, You can finally stream the 1966 World Cup final and pretend you know what it's like to support a country that actually wins things. On top of that, there's a whole bunch of documentary programming and originals such as Ronaldinho, The Happiest Man in the World and Croatia, Defining a Nation. At a screening for the latter is where I caught up with James Abraham, commissioning editor at FIFA Plus. We're, what, a month away, a month out from the launch of FIFA Plus, which launched? Yeah, a month and a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How do you feel things have gone so far? I think it's gone pretty well Mm -hmm. as like a public launch. I think it's always going to be an awkward moment to launch something so broad. Yeah. Um, And now, obviously you were here today for one of the very specific projects, I think now that sort of cadence will build and in the background the platform will improve and improve and improve. And uh, what was kind of the the mission statement idea for the platform? FIFA wanted to, I think, first and foremost, have a direct relationship with its audience, its consumers. Mm -hmm. So traditionally, FIFA has sold its rights to a broadcaster. That broadcaster's then put them on television, and FIFA is just sort of sat one step removed from that fan relationship, and I think that's quite an old-fashioned model now. So the driver here is to create a meaningful relationship with the fans, the audience, and we've decided to do that through content, including global originals, but also the FIFA archive. Uh, through information and data, so the match centre, you can follow whatever team, international, domestic, you like. Um, and we're also creating relationships with our MAs, which are like our member associations, so they're like our, our team, so like England, Scotland, France, whoever, to give them part of the platform where they can put their rights there for competitions that they've not sold elsewhere. So just giving a platform to those MAs to reach a large audience. Yeah, that was one thing that was is kind of the the eye catching figure is something I forget the specific number, it's something like forty thousand matches number, yeah. there's gonna be on there every year yeah. from these kind of member associations that you say, which I suppose is great exposure for them, isn't it? Exactly. And like they'll get data at the back of that. Mm. Um, but also it's it reinforces FIFA Plus as being kind of the biggest football destination mm. online. And so there's obviously the, the live streaming element with the matches, you say. Yep. Is it fair to say majority of the focus is on the on-demand content, the archival content, the originals and things like that? No, I think I think the focus is quite broad. There's different teams working on different things. So I see it very much in the, the, the content commissioning team. There's then a whole team looking after that kind of relationship with MAs. And then there's a whole technical team looking after that kind of match centre. Mm. So what you're seeing here today is kind of one of the three pillars within FIFA Plus. So I think it, it, it is broader, but I think once match centre and all the rights are starting to be a bit more consolidated, 
you'll see a very broad spectrum of football in there. Mm. Kind of a, an odd question to ask, it being a football platform, so obviously you think it's for football fans, but who do you view as being the kind of target audience for FIFA Plus? This is something which we struggle to answer, <laughs> I would say, and we always say any football fan, which is such a broad thing to mm -hmm. say, isn't it? But I think the real truth of it is that different parts of the platform and different parts of the service will have different target markets. Mm -hmm. And I think that is okay because we are a platform that is ultimately completely free to the user. I think if we were a subscription platform, that would be a real issue yeah. for us. But because we're not, I think that's kind of okay. So we've got content, I'll talk from the originals content because that's kind of what I'm closest at. We've got content that's firmly aimed at like Gen Z, Gen X. And then we've got content like the film today, which is probably aimed at a slightly older demographic, but actually from a helicopter point of view, I think the provision is there for lots of different audiences and in lots of different languages. We've got a really good cadence and we've got a pipeline now that sees us through to the end of 2023. Mm -hmm. We're already starting to look at kind of 24 and the ramp up to World Cup 26 is going to be a really key thing. So in terms of the availability of the platforms, it's just web at the moment, is it? Uh, web and app. Web and app, okay. And what, what platforms is that? Uh, that is iOS and Android. iOS and Android. Is this kind of a longer term ambition to get it on the smart TVs and stuff yeah, like that? There, yeah, there is a roadmap for smart TVs. I think the first one that we're going to execute is Hisense, okay. because they're a sponsor of ours. Right. Um, but you'll see it everywhere you see Netflix mm. is the ambition within a pretty short period of time. And uh, so, We'll see as well later this year we have the World Cup, unconventional period of time in December. Um, how are you viewing FIFA Plus in relation to the World Cup? I know that it's not going to be broadcasting it so much. But We're not broadcasting rights yeah. yet, I think that's probably the first thing to point out. I mean, these are sort of live conversations we're having now. Right. We have to tread a relatively fine line of not wanting to cannibalise our rights holders uh, and also kind of managing their expectations as to what we want on there as well. So you can expect to see match highlights on there um, in the same way that FIFA used to put those match highlights on YouTube. Um, so would that be, would those highlights now be on FIFA Plus instead of YouTube or will it be? That is literally a live conversation. <laughs> It's a tricky one. I have a very personal mm. opinion of that, um, but it is my opinion. Um, and I've worked for governing bodies before where I've kind of run social and content. Um, I think wherever we net out, like the audience will be at the very centre of that decision. It won't be based on making money on ads. It won't be based on anything other than kind of audience experience and kind of wanting to be very respectful for our rights holders who are, you know, a massive part of our revenue ultimately. So you mentioned there about the, the rights holders, um, what are the sort of conversations that you have with them to say, you know, you're not being broadcast in XYZ market, come and be on FIFA Plus and we'll give you a potential audience. Of so the M MAs you mean? Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, conversations you know, not dissimilar to that. So you can go to uh, the French MA and say, um, your tier two rights are only going into, I think it was like four or five countries. Um, here's a platform where you can send them to the rest of the world. And as you can imagine, rights holders are biting our hand off to do it because ultimately they can get those numbers back and it helps their commercial case for whatever they want to do with those rights down the line. And it's important for FIFA as a, um, 
a governing body to like really service our rights holders and show them value, not just a vanity platform, actual proper value. Yeah, so so you, you talked as well about there being this roadmap through to 2023 and there being plenty of content coming through, but what really do you want FIFA Plus to be? You know, this time, twelve months, eighteen months, two years. What What do you want the world to view FIFA Plus? As? I want it to be um, a, a couple of things: a, a bona fide destination for like football fans to mm. come and get like reliable data, watch games should they want. You know, everyone's got their own little niche interest. You've got a lot of expat audiences that live out of region where this will provide them a way to watch what used to be maybe their domestic league but from the originals point of view i want us to be thought of as a you know a really serious program making factual entertainment platform that just happens to carry stories that are predominantly in the context of the sport of football great uh, so last thing i'll ask you is uh, what Obviously, we're here today for uh, for the Croatia documentary yeah. launch. What would you? I know, what are your picks on FIFA Plus to for me to go away and watch right now? So definitely this one. Yeah. I, I think this will. This is one of the most important um, programs we'll make this year, and I think we could have made this in a very simple, sanitised way by literally just telling the story of what this team did in 1998. Mm -hmm. But if we'd have done that, we'd have lost all of the backstory and all of the heart and soul as to kind of why that was incredible and what it meant to the people of Croatia given what they'd just been through. So this is definitely up there. Uh, there's a series called Captains, um, which was in the initial press release that came out where we follow six captains, um, including the captains of Brazil and Croatia, again, Croatia, uh, through World Cup qualification. And I think when people see that, they'll be completely stunned by the level of access we've got with these players. Yeah. And I think showcasing access is going to be a big part of kind of the tone of voice of FIFA Plus. I suppose that's a, a kind of unique avenue that you have to get that access because you have people like Amazon, Netflix making all these kind of sports documentaries, and they'll only get you know a certain degree of access because yeah. of who they are but you want to see FIFA so you yeah. can go in there and... and I think football talent feels safe working with us because we are FIFA because mm. ultimately I think they know that we're not and we can't try and catch them out yeah. can you imagine if we tried to do that so I think ultimately um, while a lot of talent are uncomfortable about inviting cameras into their homes if they're going to do it for anyone it's going to be us now, the launch of FIFA Plus is not the only recent bit of news in the sports broadcasting landscape. You may have noticed that following the announcement of exclusive talks between the pair in February, last month, BT and Warner Brothers Discovery, that is the relatively newly formed combination of Warner Media and Discovery, announced the creation of a joint venture that will merge BT Sport and Eurosport. The combined entity will pull together premium sports rights, including, let me take a breath, the UEFA Champions League, UEFA Europa League, the English Premier League, Premiership Rugby, UFC, the Olympic Games, Tennis Grand Slams, Cycling Grand Tours and the Winter Sports World Cup season. The only thing really missing from the list that Warner Brothers Discovery has the rights to is the PGA Tour, which it sub-licenses to Sky Sports. Gotta give the little guy a chance, eh? Joining me now to discuss what the deal means for the UK sports broadcasting landscape and general other developments in the sports broadcasting world is Tim Westcott, Senior Principal Analyst at Omdia. We are a few weeks out now from BT and Warner Brothers Discovery announcing that they were going to merge BT Sport and 
Eurosport. What are generally your thoughts on the subject and and what it means for the 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 UK broadcasting landscape? I think it means that in some ways, from a consumer's point of view, not very much will change um, because the the BT Sport venture um, is going to continue, <clears throat> possibly un- under another name, but with new management. And quite a lot of the key rights deals that BT has have still got a few years to run. So the Premier League, I think, goes until 2025. From the Discovery Warner Brothers side, the Olympics are still in place and they have the rights to the next Olympic Games in 2024. So from a consumer point of view, it's probably not going to make a big difference immediately, apart from the possible rebranding of of the venture. In terms of the wider sports landscape, I think one quite significant change is that with Sky now owned by NBC, Amazon also having made quite a big play for online sports in the UK, and now BT coming under US management, because even though BT will, will have a minority stake, the venture is actually going to be managed by Warner Brothers Discovery. And at some point, BT will sell its stake, or at least it, it has it has the agreement that it will 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 be able to to buy itself out of the venture in the next five years. And that we don't we won't really know what what that means for the UK sports rights landscape until probably the next Premier League deal is negotiated and, and we find out whether these US companies that have traditionally been quite averse to paying um ludicrous amounts of money for for rights may start to jibe at at, uh, forking out increasing amounts of money for Premier League rights and maybe also for other rights as they as they come up for grabs. I mean, ESPN was previously in this market and decided it it didn't really see a future for itself some years ago and, and pulled out with a couple of years of a Premier League contract still to go. But I think possibly the more significant change is that we're increasingly moving from a market where sports was on was on pay TV, traditional pay TV, satellite cable, a bit of IPTV with BT to a much more online world where people are actually getting a lot of their sport delivered via the internet or or at least via broadband. So if you're a Sky subscriber taking BT Sport, you're already getting BT Sport via broadband. And the same goes for if if you have a BT subscription, then the only channels you get over the air through your box are free to air terrestrial channels and all the pay channels you get come through an ethernet cable at the back of the box. So we have moved to a world where sports is online, but it does look remarkably similar now to the world before where you you essentially were buying your premium sport from an operator along with other services like broadband and other types of uh, other types of channel. That may change with the launch if it happens of HBO Max. Currently, the UK is not one of the markets where HBO Max has launched. And that's because all of the key HBO content is tied up in a in an output deal with Sky, which is obviously the biggest sports broadcaster in the UK. And it looks as though those deals are in place until 2025. So another you know, another reason that we won't see many much immediate 
short-term change, uh, which is that in 2025, we may see HBO Max launching, possibly with this premium sport as part of the bundle. And that could be quite an exciting, well, it will be an exciting package for a consumer if you have premium sport with Warner Brothers movies in the first pay TV window, plus the HBO content, plus all the Discovery content, plus everything else that Warner Brothers Discovery has. And that will be a predominantly online offering, which will be really quite a strong challenge to Sky when that actually finally happens. So a few years before that does happen, but very much a change which which is in prospect. Yeah, it's interesting you say that about HBO Max because there's so many question marks about what's going on there because Warner Brothers Discovery wants to merge HBO Max and Discovery Plus, what that will look like. That will already bring in the sports from Eurosport, which they aggressively marketed Discovery Plus during the uh, Winter and Summer Olympics last year. So it'll be interesting to see that bolstered out in the coming years. And the tie-up does seem to make sense from, from the perspective that both brands are very much online digital focused. BT has invested heavily in its BT Sport app, which compared to Sky, Sky Go and things like that, are very much a supplemental service to your to your core. You mainly watch through your set-top box, whereas BT... Mm-hmm has put their app on smart TVs, streaming devices, not focused more on that than the than you know the the core over the air proposition, but there's very much more of a digital focus and it would you'd expect to see that more going forward. Yes, I agree. Having said that, the, the other thing to bear in mind is that part of this agreement that, that Warner Brothers Discovery has is a five year carriage deal with BT. So it's got a minimum guarantee of, I think, about £500 million a year for carriage on the BT platform, or at least with, with the BT services, because as we, as we were saying, they're not actually delivered via a sort of traditional network. And BT is presumably still going to be offering TV channels along with its broadband and, and mobile offering. So it's still going to be a conventional operator in that sense, even though this whole sports add-on is, is going to be largely digital. And there is a question mark about how long is BT going to stay in that game. It's not as exposed as it was with BT Sport because it's not actually buying the rights. I think it has one exclusive carriage deal with AMC, um, but otherwise it's it's just distributing third-party channels like everybody else. So there is still a a sort of traditional element to this bundle, and BT is still the number one broadband operator in the UK. And I think that was probably one of the reasons that it went into sport in the first place was to defend that leadership. So it still has that broadband business. It's still by far its, its largest business. And it's continuing to offer pay TV bundled in with broadband, but it doesn't have the same exposure that it did to variations in in rights payments. Now it's parked them in this joint venture. Looking at more of the fine print of the deal, like you mentioned about how the production and operational assets of BT Sport will become uh, a subsidiary of Warner Brothers Discovery, but it's still going to be a 50-50 joint venture in terms of voting rights and long strategic decisions but bt does have a uh, an earn out so they can pull the plug if they want to they can just say here you go there you go you can have the the bt sport brand effectively one thing that we discussed you and i in the past was about prospective tie-up between bt and dzone and this obviously kind of uh, surprised a lot of people this deal with warner brothers discovery because it was assumed that those talks were quite advanced and it seemed as though that was the thing that was going to happen. And I was um, speaking with an exec from DAZN 
recently who was talking about how that was the plan A for them to enter into the UK market. So what do you think this means then for for them? I do think it makes entry into the UK a bit harder for them or definitely makes it harder for them because they would have bought their way in with BT Sport with all of these contracts still in place with several more years to run. But I think there were lots of parts of that deal or a possible deal which wouldn't necessarily have worked for DAZN because DAZN really is an an over-the-top operator even though it does have partnership with pay TV operators where possible. But I think in the UK it would certainly have been interested in the rights but those rights would have been coming up anyway next time the, the, the Premier League rights, the Champions League rights, English rugby rights come up for renewal, they would have been available to DAZN anyway. So I think the, the added premium for sort of buying the lease on the Olympic Centre, the, the BT Sports Studios, the sort of difficulty in working out what kind of agreement they would have with BT, given that if they had done a similar sort of joint venture type deal as the one that, that Warner Brothers Discovery has done, they would have been sort of tied in with BT in a way which wouldn't necessarily have have worked for them. So I think there are probably lots of lots of reasons why it didn't work. And having spoken to people at DAZN myself, I think they were really mostly interested in the Premier League rights and perhaps not as interested in in the other rights that that BT has, which is primarily rugby, some other European football, MotoGP, UFC, which might have been a better fit with DAZN, which has got a lot of boxing and and fight sports rights in the UK. So I think the answer to the question about why the the deal with DAZN didn't happen, I, I think it was probably not the right deal for DAZN. It's a much better deal for Warner Brothers Discovery, given that it is already it does already have a foothold in the UK. It's already got the Eurosport business, which is very well established in the UK. In fact, they used to have a British Eurosport a few years ago. So it's, it makes more sense, really, as an addition to the Warner Brothers Discovery business than than it than DAZN might maybe. And at the same time as all of this. Uh, something that you, I know that you've looked at elsewhere is Viaplay, formerly Nent Group, and them expanding into the UK in the second half of 2022. They've picked up some hockey rights. They've got the kind of the highest profile thing is home nations football, excluding England from, I think it's 2024. Premier Sports has picked up a, a short little deal to bridge the gap between Sky and the Viaplay deal. Mm-hmm coming in. So this space is getting increasingly crowded. What do you think Viaplay's ambitions are in the space? Yeah, it's Viaplay is really interesting because we're always tracking the big US-owned direct-to-consumer operators who are going global. They're rolling out in you know every single country and territory in the world, rights deals permitting in the case of HBO Max. But actually, we've kind of lost sight of the fact for more local operators, direct-to-consumer is also an opportunity. So Nent Group, now rebranded as Viaplay, have really sort of seized the opportunity of direct-to-consumer. They've always operated in the Nordic market. They tried to expand into other territories, particularly Eastern Europe, through acquisition, decided it wasn't working. So they sort of pulled back to the Nordic territories. But with the launch of, of direct-to-consumer, they've seen another opportunity to, to roll out internationally. And that's partly been because they have quite a lot of original content. They own all the rights, so they can exploit their catalogue by launching in, in other countries. But the sort of surprising and unusual thing is that they've also gone into it with premium sport. They've done long-term deals 
with the Bundesliga, several markets, the Premier League in, in other markets. In the UK, it's slightly different in that they have largely the kinds of sports which are not mainstream sports in the UK. They definitely have a following, but you know they're going to have a lot of ice hockey and other sports like handball. And you did mention the European soccer, and that's definitely a, a, a big, very appealing right for them to have. But it's quite interesting that they're launching in the UK because they may have lower ambitions in terms of subscriber numbers than the likes of Sky and Warner Brothers Discovery and HBO Max and Paramount Plus and Disney Plus, but they can see an opportunity for them in the UK. Um, it's quite interesting that they've chosen the UK. They're also launching in the US. They're going to be launching in Germany, I think, the year after the UK or the same year as the UK. It's partly sort of speculative, you know, who knows if it's going to work, but I think they, they are at least trying. And it does mean they're not really going to be competing head on with BT Sport and Sky, I don't think, but they will be offering another option for sports fans in the UK. And potentially, if they do build a critical mass, they could start bidding for other rights. Because what's happening with most pay TV markets, but particularly the UK, is that the market leaders are kind of trimming their portfolio of rights. So they're really taking a critical look at all of the rights that they have. And if they've got any events which they don't think wash their face in terms of the amount of revenue they're getting, the amount of people who are watching, the amount of people who subscribe because of those events, they're dropping them. So Sky dropped La Liga, the Spanish League, a few years ago. It started getting rid of rid of other rights. It, it doesn't see as 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 core. And that does give opportunities for other players like Viaplay, like Premier Sports to come in and pick up those rights. The last thing I wanted to talk about really was kind of more of a future gazing prospect. And it's the million dollar question, which is always comes up every few years about leagues and competitions and sports generally going more direct to consumer. We've seen in the past month, the launch of FIFA Plus. It's really interesting that they can talk to their member associations and say, okay, these the lower leagues in France, for instance, they're only broadcast in four or five markets. So you can go via us. It's not the most lucrative opportunity for them, but it provides them with data. And that seems like it's an It'll be an interesting model to follow and see how other leagues and competitions react. I do know a bit about FIFA Plus, and it is a really interesting departure. So the key thing about it is that it's not a subscription service. Um, at least not initially. It's advertising funded, so it's free to view. And it's really a way for FIFA to exploit rights to matches that otherwise wouldn't necessarily get an airing. And FIFA represents, I don't know how many football federations around the world, it's something like 200 or 300, I, I, I should know. But there are hundreds of very small football federations that in most countries, as well as organising the national football teams that take part in the FIFA World Cups, they also organise and sell the rights to their leagues. And, and a lot of those leagues aren't televised. Sometimes they're not even televised in their home markets. So we in the UK always, we would be surprised that the local football league in a given country doesn't have a massive pay TV deal, but actually sometimes they don't even have a TV deal in some countries. So FIFA is sort of using this platform to give these rights an airing. Clearly the numbers aren't going to be very big initially, but it also gives them an option as they come to renew rights for the events everyone really wants, like the World Cup finals. They do have an alternative. So if 
if those negotiations don't go well, and there are countries where they actually sometimes find it very difficult to get a rights deal for the World Cup until the last minute, you know, that seems to happen every time in Spain, the broadcasters sort of hold out for a better deal. Now FIFA sort of has this negotiating tactic to say, well, if you're not going to buy the rights, we're just going to put them on FIFA Plus. And we might offer the, if it's Spain, we might offer Spain's matches free, but everything else people are going to have to pay us a subscription for. So that's an example of how this new environment of direct-to-consumer does give rights holders and sports federations another weapon in their armory. It's quite expensive. It's very expensive setting up your own streaming service, definitely direct-to-consumer streaming service. Someone has to film the matches. So, you know, there are costs involved. There's all the marketing. But it does mean that sports rights holders who traditionally have always done deals with broadcasters and just handed over all of that part of the business to a broadcast partner are now increasingly thinking about doing it themselves. They still will do broadcast deals and pay TV deals if the money there, but they now have the option of, of going it alone if the money isn't there. And that's something that, for example, the Dutch League did many years ago when they couldn't get a good deal from the Dutch cable operators, so they launched their own channel. So we will be seeing more of that in the future, I think. But I think the other point about FIFA Plus, I don't know if it was FIFA that said this, but a point was made that federations that own the rights to sports or organise sports have a duty to not just make money, but also to promote their game. And that is something FIFA, I think, is doing with, with FIFA Plus. It's making sure that its games are seen. It's making sure that its members are televised. And I definitely think they're interested in making money out of it. But it does also serve that objective of putting their sport in front of more people, which means better development, better support, better penetration of sort of communities, better sort of understanding, promotion of the game, and sometimes promotion of sort of smaller countries. So we're definitely going to see more of that. But I don't think we're going to see traditional TV deals replaced in the short term. I think that's going to happen over the next 10 to 15 years, not, not as suddenly as some people are saying. One thing that I think will be really interesting with FIFA Plus to track in the more immediate future is uh, I know that they've, well, I mean, I, I've spoken to them and they've said that they're having internal discussions about what they did with the highlights from the upcoming World Cup because they've previously always put them on YouTube, but they're currently having internal discussions about whether to, instead of putting them on YouTube for the Qatar World Cup later this year, to put them on FIFA Plus, which would be you know an immediate eyes on the product but it also kind of is a as you say a negotiating tactic for because they obviously have a deal with youtube you know it gives them an extra weapon in their arsenal in negotiating going forward and you could see that being emulated you know with the premier league we've already seen the premier league has its own channel which is operating in i think it's more southeast asian countries am i right in saying Yes. Oh, yes. I mean, I think they launched it in the Middle East initially, didn't they? Mm. So, yeah, they have they have a couple of high definition channels that have their own commentary soundtrack. And that's really because, you know, they recognise that if you're selling the rights to 200 countries, they're not all going to have their own negotiating teams. So you need to provide them with more than just a signal. Um, sometimes they need they need the commentary as well. So to, to bring this all full circle, then two different, very, very different approaches to sports broadcasting, the D2C, and then a massive media organisation bringing two yeah. huge sports broadcasters under their wing. So it'll be, uh, yes, it's very dynamic landscape and it'll be interesting to see how things look in the next 10, 15 years. Yeah, and it kind of, if you think about it, it it's kind of the first time 
sport was televised live, it was typically on a broadcaster and it was, you know, it was sharing the schedule with other types of programming. You know, and I'm old enough to remember watching Test Match Cricket on, on the BBC when it would quite often just be interrupted by, you know, horse racing, uh, tennis if Wimbledon was on, or if the match was overrunning, you know, they'd go to the, the evening news. So uh, it was never a very kind of happy marriage of, of live sport with the broadcast at the generalist schedule. Then you had um, pay TV coming along and you could have the entire all of the airtime of a, of a specialist channel filled, filled with sport. Um, you know, you could show as much cricket, five days of cricket with masses of hours of, of sort of previews and conversation and reviews around it as well. Um, so so sport sort of blossomed in, in the pay TV era, but even pay TV broadcasters um, have to get big audiences. So what we're seeing now is that those sports rights that don't get big enough audiences are being squeezed off pay TV. And there is a place for them on specialist niche direct consumer services, which, you know, sometimes, as we as, as I was saying, you know, matches which don't get televised can be put on. Things like the EFL, you know, I think the EFL used to only have about two games televised every week in its international feed. And now if you're a Bristol Rovers fan in Australia, you can watch all of their live matches via, via an app. So we're, we're seeing a lot of opportunities open up. I think, you know, they st you still have to generate revenue. There still is an expectation that you still have to have a critical mass to cover the cost of operating these services. But I think we are seeing more, we are will be seeing more and more direct-to-consumer launches. And as the, as the kind of negotiations around rights renewals become more tense, we may start to see some of the bigger rights being carved off and going direct to consumer as well, rather than being in these pay TV broadcaster deals. So that's the show. Thank you very much to FIFA Plus Commissioning Editor James Abraham and Omdia's Tim Westcott. And thank you for listening. TV Watch is written, produced and mixed by me, Jonathan Easton, and Digital TV Europe's editor is Stuart Thompson. You can find me on Twitter at EastJohnEast, or get in touch with me via email at jonathan.easton at informer.com. You can follow Digital TV Europe at Digital TV Europe on Twitter and at digitaltveurope.com, where you can sign up for our daily newsletter that will keep you up to speed on all the latest goings on in the TV industry. And if you're new to the show and would like to be informed when the latest episodes are released, you can subscribe to TV Watch on your preferred podcast platform of choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts or whatever. Thanks again for listening. Bye bye.